not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsdale. This is the third week in a series we're calling Confessions of a Pastor. Pastor David uh, allow, uh, gave me the grace and allowed me and invited me to do this time, uh, sharing with my church family. Uh, I've been a pastor up for 21 years, a senior pastor for 38 years, uh, now moving into a new task in the church, a greater task, but beyond the local church. Looking forward to that, but also sad about leaving here. And the first week I talked about trust that maybe the most difficult thing for me to learn as a pastor was to trust God with the church. Now, you really have no control of anything when you're a pastor. And most of you are volunteers, uh, and really there's always things happening that you feel like, hey, I hope that turns out well, and you have to trust God. And I'm still learning that, but I'm better at it than I used to be. Second thing we talked about last week was grace. The grace God gives us that we share with each other. There's a common pool of grace which is God's blood in Christ shed on the cross for you and me. That's where we go to share, offer, give loving grace to other people. And God gives it to us again and again and again. Today we're going to talk about compassion. Not just the idea that we should be nice to each other, but compassion in the depth of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and what it is to be a pastor in that light. We're looking at here, especially with the confessions of a pastor. When I uh, pastored my first church in 1978, uh, June I arrived, I learned that I had to do the bulletins. When you came, you arrived, you got a bulletin, I had to do that there. I didn't know anything about how to do that. In those years, I had to do it in what's called a Gestetner. How many know what a Gestetner machine is? A few of you know what a Gestetner is. A few gray hairs out there know what that is. It's a long rolling tube that you put ink in and you place a stencil on. Stencil you have to type on your typewriter. Uh, if you know what a typewriter is, you're not many of you probably have used one. Some of you have on a typewriter. It's very involved, arduous, difficult to do. It's a pain in the neck, in other words, to do it, along with putting ink on this thing to make it work. Well, today we do bulletins. They appear magically as far as I'm concerned. I walk in and there they are. You know, we have a team who does it, and so they do the work uh, for the church. We also have a $30,000 or so copy machine. We lease that thing, so it's not as bad as it sounds. And we lease that that's back in there. And a big folding machine that folds things. We had no folding machine even here when I arrived in, in 1995. In this church, we had no folding machine or a fax machine here, <laughs> any of those things. So things have even changed in the last 21 years I've been here. But what I'm saying is that a lot of things change in the church. That's a continual, ongoing process that never stops. Change is inherently with living in this world. We've had change here. I've had change in my life in the church. One thing does not change, though, and that is the core of what the church is, the Christian life is, and it's compassion. It's a Christ-founded compassion. It's in the Bible. I'll read the verse for you here specifically. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, hear the word of God, please. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. I want you to note the word, he had compassion. The driving force for God in this world, interacting with it through his son, Jesus Christ, was compassion. 
through the crowds, the needs they had that drove what he did, even to the point of the cross and the resurrection. And those who say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, have to struggle with compassion. Without that, we're not who God calls us to be. In fact, the Bible says they'll know you're my, they'll know you're my disciples by the, I use the word compassion you have. That's how they will know. One of the things that uh, I've done through the years, and I, and I still do, and I just can't stop myself, is occasionally I startle people. And I do it on staff especially. I do it at home sometime. You know, for whatever reason, walking down the hallway, my wife steps out and say, hi, Rhonda. And she'll jump, you know, and she just does. And she'll, her favorite word when I do that is she. She says chi. That's a Key West word, I guess, chi. I don't know what it means, but she says that word when I scare her. And, and I'll say things like, we live in the same house. I mean, you know I'm here. You know, how am I going to scare you? But that happens. My, my, my assistant, Cindy, I occasionally startle as well. The office near mine, she'll be concentrating on her computer, and I'll walk in and say, hi, or hallelujah, uh, either case, uh, and she'll often jump leaving her chair when she does it and say, I can't believe you can do that, you know, and I still, but I slowed down doing that with her when I realized she was older than me. I was afraid she's going to have a heart attack, so I stopped doing that in Cindy's case as much as I have, but, but the favorite person here to, to startle is Sandra, our church organist. Uh, Sandra will often practice here and uh, she's really concentrating on this, her master's degree in organ music, and she's got not seeing the notes, you know. Uh, and, and I know that no matter what I do, she's going to be jump. I just walk in the door. I could say, hi. I could say, hi. I mean, uh, and if I walk, especially behind there where she can't see me, uh, when I come up and say, how are you doing, Sandra? She's going to jump. It's the only time she's tall is if you know Sandra <laughs> is when that happens. You know, that's, that's funny to me. It would be to her if she was here. She's okay with that. Uh, and, and I can say to myself sometime, bad, 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 Mike. Maybe, maybe you ought to stop doing that. Probably not. <laughs> now, when I think about the church as a pastor, I see a church family often around the needs that we have. You know, uh, we can use the word bad if we want to meaning the needs that are part of all of our lives, the bad things that we experience, because that's who we are. That's the nature of being human beings. That's how Jesus saw his world. He saw the people, sheep without a shepherd. He saw the disease, the hurting, the broken. I see that. I pray for my church family. All pastors do. Pastor David does. Pastor Sharon does. Pastor Tina does. Uh, Pastor Caesar does. Uh, they, they, they pray. Pastor Johnny does. Uh, they, they pray for you. We often have times we gather together and turn prayer requests in. But myself, I'll pray for the church, and I'll think about this person who's gone through a, a loss recently. Maybe a, a parent has died or a spouse has died or a child has died or maybe someone going through a divorce. we we'll pray for them or someone lost their job. Someone came by and they're dealing with depression or anxiety or other emotional issues, which inflicts all of us in various stages or forms or levels. And, I, and then, I'll, then I'll, after a while I'll say, God, I, I, I run out because everybody has a need. I, 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 I name everybody. I would eventually name everybody that I, I go, everyone. Everyone has something bad happening in their life. Maybe get into depression, a stage they're in of age, a parent who's, who's, who's on hospice our grandparent, all of us have that in our journey in our life. That's, that's our state. That's who we are. There's no exception. 
And so when we realize that's true, we see that's why God sent his son and he acted out his divinity as God in this world, compassion for people. That's what he did. And that's what pastors do. And that's what everyone who chooses to follow Christ does. They'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. The verse again, verse 36. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the New American Standard Version of the same words. They were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. The first week I did this series, I began talking about a pulpit, my first day of ministry, uh, that uh, if you weren't here, ask someone, they'll tell you that story. It's kind of a funny story, but uh, that's where it began. Then I, the second day of, of, of being a pastor, I thought to myself, I'm 25 years old, just got out of Bible college, just moved in, and I'm thinking, what do I do now? I mean, what do you do if you don't know? If you walked in the door the first day you were a pastor, what would you do? I mean, okay, I'll, you know, is there a list? You know, is there, an expect, is there a job description? No, there's not. You know, what do I do? And so I thought, I'll ask someone, is there anybody in the church who you know that might be ill, might be sick? And so someone told me, oh, yes, Elizabeth Loveless. She's in her 80s. Uh, she's, she has no family other than a sister, and she is going blind. And so I thought, I'll go by and see Elizabeth. And so I saw Elizabeth Loveless, met her. When I walked in the door, she was so pleased to see her pastor come by, this brand-new young guy coming to pray for her. She said, oh, wait, wait, I'm going to call my neighbor who was her sister, Eileen Minton, who came over as well. And Eileen Minton came over, and I visited Elizabeth and Eileen. We talked. I was their pastor. I prayed for them before I left. You know, I guess we're supposed to do that. And that's how, really for me, the entry into being a pastor happened. What do I do? And it followed many hospital visits in that, in that small church and many funerals. I did many funerals there, many weddings, other moments that were special as well in my life. And my life became centered around people who have needs, which is everybody. Everybody. With no exception. Me or them or all of us, that's who we were. In that church, it was a two-point charge. That means there were two churches that I served. My twin brother, who's also a pastor, had a four-point charge that he served, four, four small churches. The second church, there was a couple there named Joe and Ida Mae Atkinson. And uh, there, were, there are successful farmers and unsuccessful farmers. They were unsuccessful. Their life, and they were older, were, had been extremely difficult. Lived in a shack, probably surviving on a very basic amount of Social Security, uh, never had done really well in what they were trying to do. And he also, uh, Joe, had one leg. He'd lost one in a combine years before. And Ida May had colon cancer, unable really to even pay for her doctor. And I became their pastor in that season of great difficulty, uh, arduous moment for them. Uh, him losing her, he died not long after that. Uh, I believe I did both their funerals in that season for them. Uh, and that's where, really, the connection happens. When we talk about compassion, we're talking about connection, knowing who we are, how do we interact with people and live out our own faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and me, which means to me this, to live like Jesus lived, to love like Jesus loved, is to live like Jesus lived. To love like Jesus loved is to live like Jesus lived. You cannot separate the two things. You can't take the emotion and put it here 
and not have it be compassion, which is how we interact with people. Compassion is a real interaction with other people, whether it be our, our spouse or our kids, our family, our church family, our neighbors, whoever, our Joe and I and May or Elizabeth and Eileen. That's what compassion is because that in a simple, simple way is what Jesus did. And I like that because we can do what Jesus did. He interacted where they were and where he was. And that's what he, what, he, what, what he did in his life. I'm going to show you a picture. This is a picture in Africa, Rwanda. And this is a Lauren. A Lauren is actually a starting seminary. And she's going to be appointed to our church as she's finished candidacy, it's called. And she's going to be appointed as a part-time local pastor here. Now, many years down the road, if she keeps at it, God blesses her, she'll be ordained an elder. That's a long time after seminary. That'll take place in residency. And a lot of it right now, she'll be a local pastor. And I was in this trip to Africa with her. I remember walking through the, uh, the bush, if you want to call it that, uh, heading to a site where orphans were that we had served and helped support. You do that through your Gifts of Zoe ministry. I remember seeing her, and she's talking about bugs biting her feet, maybe a spider had bit her. I looked down and said, you're wearing flip-flops. Uh, and then I commented her, Lauren, you're in Africa. I just want to remind you where you are. You're in Africa. Wear shoes. Uh, but anyway, here she's holding, can you see what? It's a chicken. She's holding a chicken. Now, we had gone to a site, which means there were orphans there we supported for three years. We had changed their life through your gifts. Uh, they had come from broken, desperate, dirty, dying kids, basically, to, thr- to thriving uh, and, and doing so well, taking care of themselves, so proud of themselves, and they want to show us what they've done. They want us to be, as their church family, proud of them. They supported them financially, and we're now, now there to support them face-to-face, and they love that when we come. And I've been there before, so I knew what was happening. When the young man came out of the small mud building holding a chicken, I thought, he's going to come bring that chicken to me. Because I'm the pastor, they know that. You're special in Africa when you're a pastor. I'm going to get that chicken, and I don't want to hold that chicken. And so when he heads my way, I say, Lauren, Lauren will take the chicken. And so he went from me to her, and there she is, city girl, I promise you, holding his chicken like this, this flapping chicken. You know, he settled down there for a while, just a little bit, and I also realized she held it the entire hour or so we were there for this moment held it as we got on the little bus we were on to go to the next site, held it on the bus. No one's going to take that chicken from her. And so she's holding that chicken all the way till they take it from the next site, take it from her, and then take it and cook it for us for supper. Because it was a gift to us. They wanted us to do that. That's our way of giving, being grateful for it. But, you know, you see in that picture just, hey, hey there's Jesus right there. That's, that's what Jesus did, that compassionate moment of interaction between people around that, I'll take the chicken and I'll give the chicken. It will make this work because God is here in this moment. That's what being a pastor is. Also being a Christian is as well. To love like Jesus loved is to live like Jesus lived. How we understand that. And we love because he first loved us. It's Christ-centeredness. It's how we connect. It's why this church has exploded in compassion. Not just love, but compassion where passionate things are done for other people in all our relationships, whether it be summer mission trips you saw, vacation Bible camp you saw, United Mission Week coming up, a disaster relief or vacation Bible camp or Meals on Wheels or Big Hope or Cairo's prison ministry or Celebrate Recovery or ESL or Habitat or Hands of Christ. In other words, Jesus among us explodes in compassion for others, and you have to do that or you're not the church or you're not a pastor. 
or you don't know who Jesus really is because he gives us that same kind of love. Again, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the next phrase I want to share with you, compassion is born from learning what really matters. Compassion is born from learning what really matters. Compassion is born from learning what really matters. Jesus knew what really mattered, and that's what he did. That's how he lived. That's how he loved and served, and it carried him to the cross where what mattered the most was giving his life for this entire world, you and me, in that compassionate act upon the cross, the disciple, the Jesus that we say we follow as his, as his disciples. I'll tell you about Dan. Dan uh, was a friend. I didn't know Dan until his uh, daughter Erica got married. Uh, and that was many years ago, 2002 maybe, something like that. Uh, and I met Dan right about there. This is a brand new sanctuary then. We had not expanded it yet. Uh, one of the first weddings here uh, was Dan's daughter, Erica. And Dan, it's hard to miss, he's six foot five, w- w- was six foot five and 350 pounds. And I didn't know Dan because he didn't come to church. He had no use for church. No use for any of this faith business or the church or Christianity or preachers for that matter, other than doing the wedding for his daughter. Now, Sharon reminded me that I actually had baptized his daughter Erica and his twin sons sometime before in the old sanctuary here a few years before. I didn't know that with Nancy, his wife. And so that was an exciting moment to, uh, to, 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 to be a part of that in their life. So I did that wedding. And again, he had no use for God. But things began to change. I'm going to show you a picture if I, uh, of, of this. Okay, this is uh, Erica, his daughter, and that's her husband, Todd. It's a very fitting Memorial Day uh, story to tell as well. Uh, he was about to, he was just commissioned into the army. When we did the wedding, he was about to be commissioned. He's an Aggie, it's an Aggie wedding, a real Aggie wedding. They were all wearing these little uniforms that they had uh, in, that, in that wedding, and there they are. Uh, and not long after that, uh, his group was deployed to Iraq. He's a lieutenant by then. And he's on a lead Bradley fighting vehicle on the initial original invasion of Iraq more than 10 years ago. Uh, and he did that. And then he came back after a year, survived the war, came back home uh, to Erica, and they moved, moved to Colleen, Texas, where, he's still in the, where he was promoted to captain. I love a story because when he was promoted captain, her gift to him was a cape. She said, Captain Christmas. What a great story. Next picture, please. Well, there's uh, Todd, Todd or Christmas. This happened right after he came back home from the war. Uh, he was killed in a helicopter crash. Uh, his, his parents are gold star parents, they are called. Uh, died November 29th, 2004. Did his funeral, claim. Uh, was asked to do that. Uh, but in this whole journey, I want to tell you another story that rides with this. And you need to know this. Can you get the next picture, please, real quick? There's Dan again. This is after uh, the death of his son-in-law. Because somewhere in this journey, Dan was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And he was told it was advanced. Uh, There was no cure for him. They couldn't even really treat it very much. Uh, They gave him five years to live. Uh, And Dan went home, sat in his chair. A friend of his called me and said, Dan's at home and he is completely devastated by the diagnosis. He doesn't know what to do. And so I went by the house to see him. Uh, he let me in. He's sitting in his big easy chair. And I walked in. We sat down for a while. What do you say? You know, Dan and I didn't know each other, really. 
I told you he didn't come to church, and, you know, he didn't have much use for church. Uh, I knew his family, but not him. We'd visit for a while, and we'd pray and talk about Jesus and heaven and all these things. And I remember saying these kind of words to Dan. It's, you know, Dan, you haven't lost anything. You have what you had before. You have your three great kids, your wife who loves you. You have God who cares about you. You have so many friends around you. You have so much out there for you to connect with. You know, you have all of this. It's just what are you going to do? How are you going to live? You know, what, how are you going to interact with the world you live in? You know, we talked about that for a while. You know, uh, saying, hey, look what matters. Think about what really matters. You know, we, we talked about that. Uh, years later, he used the words, after that visit, my oh no became oh wow. And Dan absolutely changed in a dramatic way. And he moved into this world living for what mattered, you know, the rest of his life. Uh, living, I think, 10 lifetimes. Next picture, please. Love that one because not long after that, uh, maybe a year or so after the diagnosis, he and Nancy, uh, his wife Nancy, went on a 5,000-mile motorcycle tour through the Northwest. For those who ride motorcycles, that's a long way to be on a motorcycle. And I asked Nancy, because I wasn't sure she was as hep on it as he was. She said, you know, Dan wants to do it, and I'm going to do it with him. So he got on that bike with him for 5,000 miles. Could not be easy. An arduous trip. There you see the weather. You know, she, she had compassion. You know, he had compassion. I want you to see how it's lived out, not just a saying it, but, but how we connect with God in that way. And, and you could see a change in their life together through this whole journey of the oh no to oh wow. So there's that next picture, please. Now here's one of his sons. I could show either one. They're identical twins. So, uh, and you notice his son's bigger than he is. He's 6'5", 350. Uh, you'll, if you're coming at 11 o'clock, you'll see his boys here often. And certainly his daughter, Erica, and Nancy's here a lot. I ask permission to tell this story. Next picture. Okay, there is uh, another wedding picture. Uh, this is the second wedding for Erica. Uh, after Todd passed away, she met Keith. Uh, and I did that wedding for them as well uh, in, in uh, uh, Austin, Texas. They're right off of 6th Street. Went down there to do that for them. Ronnie went with me as well. And, and those two folks are the Christmases. They are... Uh, Todd, her first husband's mother and father, uh, they're still grieving the loss of their son, Captain Christmas. Uh, they buried him right outside their ranch in New Mexico uh, where they can look down the hill and see where he's buried. That's that connection there. And Nancy and Dan and her husband, new husband Keith, out of the wedding for, they welcomed them to come and be a part of the wedding. When the families came down, you know, mom and dad comes down, they walk down and sit in the front, you know. They came down with uh, the Smiths. They came down together. The Christmases were part of this new phase of life, this compassionate invitation. We want you to be a part of this. And Keith, of course, uh, her new husband says, come on, join this. You know, uh, her, the family of the husband she had that, passed, that was killed in the helicopter crash. Next picture. Now, this is them, uh, not today, but not too long ago. That's, that's Keith. Uh, that's the, the new husband, uh, Keith and Erica, who come to church here at 11 o'clock. You can recognize him because he's a huge guy as well. That big beard, he's hard to miss. Many know, uh, know Keith. I play basketball with him. Some of you have as well. There's Erica. And there's her two kids. You know, I baptized the oldest one in church. And guess who came up to the altar? Well, Dan and Nancy 
Keith and Erica and also the Christmases were here. And for the baptism of this, new, this, little, this little baby that they would never have because their son was killed. But the daughter that loved him did. And the son-in-law who said, come on, I want you to be part of it. I welcome you into our life and our family, even though it's the husband you used to have. So think about what that means. And see the interactive compassion there where God's real in these moments. Next picture. And there is the Christmases. There they are holding those kids, uh, Erica and Keith's children, that are their grandchildren too, along with Dan and Nancy's grandchildren. Dan, whose funeral I did a few years ago, cancer finally got him. Before he died, he invited all the family to come to his house. He couldn't go anywhere anymore, pretty much homebound, sitting in a chair, last stages of cancer ravaging his body. There's Nancy, his kids, and uh, all of his family are there, and he wants, to, he wants to talk to everybody as I also baptize his new, child, his new grandchild there, uh, little boy, as you see. Uh, and there he tells a story about that day in his life when, his, when I went by and the oh no became oh wow. I began to change his life in a new way. And there's evidence of that here. And all these stories talked about Jesus and his faith. I'm going to go to heaven. I want you to see you there one day. Believe in Jesus too. And what a special moment that, that Ron and I were allowed to be a part of in that day and sometime later uh, sharing in, in, in Dan's funeral here in this sanctuary. Can we take those pictures off if we can? What I want you to see in all these, this amazing story, is a gracious compassion, an intentional welcoming, a generosity of self. And the words are, compassion is generosity of the soul. I don't want you to gloss over what it is to be a compassionate person. And the requirement for pastors to interact with people's lives in that compassionate place, because that's who we are, and that is day in and day out. That's how we live, generosity of the soul. And I would say with that, that most pastors get a salary. And I get one, and Sharon, Johnny, we get salaries. I'll say this about our salaries, that a dollar is too much to give away what God's given us. You know, we live make our living upon the sacrifice of Christ's love for the world we live in. But a million dollars is not enough. A million dollars is not enough. Stand in a hospital room, talk with a the family. They decided we're going to donate the organs of our 12-year-old girl uh, who was killed on a bicycle pedaling to an ice cream truck. Uh, nothing, nothing, you can't pay somebody to do that. And yet God calls us to do those things because that's what compassion is. It's a generosity of the soul. The depth of this kind of giving that you are required to do as well as a Christian is what it is to place our faith in a God who loves us. And it's where life is experienced and lived well and whole. Compassion is generosity of the soul. A long time ago, I was preparing to do a wedding in another church. It was waiting to come out, and it was one of these weddings that sometimes pastors just don't want to do. There were a lot of weddings. I got four weddings on the calendar in the fall. Uh, but, you know, I, I was invited to this wedding, and I, I got involved with it because I visited one of the, the couple, the, 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 the two who were getting married, when they were in jail for drug use. They both had been in and out of jail for drug, drug use. I uh, knew the mom and dad of one of them. Uh, they had no money, so they were being married. I believe it was a Women of the World building that was kind of really beat up. Uh, they had, uh, you know, paper on the tables. 
they had a, one bowl, I think, full of some, some kind of juice and uh, a few, few cups and some peanuts out there. And, uh, is it either Walmart cake or homemade cake? I don't know. And that's all they had. They weren't dressed up. There was no tuxedo, no wedding dress, just whatever they could put on. And I'm out there wearing my suit, waiting to come in. You know, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, I remember this clearly, thinking, you know, man, I don't know how I got into this one. That's what I'm saying. How did I get into this one? You know, I could have said, no, I have better things to do than this. You know, I, I won't give two cents for this marriage lasting very long, you know, is what, you're, what I'm thinking. They already have a child anyway. So, hey, you know, I'm thinking all these things as I'm waiting to go in. And as I'm there, God talks to me. Uh, and, and God says, this, this, this wedding for this couple is important to them as anybody who's ever been married ever that you've ever done. This is important to them. This is important to their families. This is important to that child that they already have. And I, I repented, said, God, I'm sorry. I will never do that again. Remember thinking at that time, I'm going to give to them what God's given to me. As God's blessed me, I'm going to bless them. And so I went to the blessings God's given me before I walked out and did the best wedding I've ever done. And since I've tried to do this, when I do a funeral or a wedding, I walk out and say, God, I want to bless them as you bless me, and that's it. And I'm prepared to preach, I often say the same, I want to bless them as you blessed me. And that is simply what Christians do, not just pastors. That's how we live. That's what it is to be a compassionate person, living this kind of life out. Lives of people that we interact with, the most important moments that they experience and how we live, representing Christ for them. I think back to my life in the church, and I could tell you a thousand stories of problems, of difficulties, of conflicts, of stuff. If you have people, you have that. Every family has the same story. Every marriage has the same story. It's simply how life is on this, wor- this world. And I could do that. You know, I could probably think of some of those things. Uh, but I found that a lot of that stuff, I don't remember anymore. Uh, at the time, I know, that seemed like such a crisis, such a world earth-shattering moment. And now it's nothing. Somebody was telling me a story a while back, and I thought, I didn't remember that at all. And yet it was a big deal at the time. But I remember Dan, his wife Nancy, Erica, and Keith. The Christmases, Todd, uh, their children. I remember Eileen Minton and Elizabeth Loveless and Joe and Ida May. I remember them. And this is what matters in life. And so the key is really, compassion is, is learning what really matters. And the last word today is love never fails. Everything else does. The theme of this series is what do you learn in 38 years as a pastor where you interact with people at the most difficult times, the joyful times of your life like no one else does, that God is among us in the way that he is. What do you learn in that time? I've learned this. I've learned this. I've learned this. Love never fails. Everything else does. Everything else does. Love never fails. Everything else does. Love never fails. Everything else does, and that's in the Bible. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace you give us and the love you have for us. The blessings we receive anew today and your compassionate act toward us in Jesus Christ. Help us learn from that and live the same way. In our Lord's name we pray, amen.